You were live with the App Show, one of Canada's top mobile app and mobile technology radio-themed programs. I'm here with Gray Williams. Thanks for joining me today. I was glad to be here. Uh, so, as the name suggests, we do talk about the world of apps, but also mobile tech, everything from smartphones, smart cars, you name it, anything that's mobile, we like to uh, chat yeah. about it. Uh, in today's program, lots to talk about. We're going to have Carmi Levy on the line from Toronto to talk about Indigo. Remember that hack a couple of weeks ago? Yep. Brought down their website, their payment systems. You couldn't even use credit cards or debit cards in their stores. Yep. And it's been kind of dark for the past couple of weeks. We don't know what the heck has happened. Well, there's news. It was a ransomware attack. Oh, dear. Yes. Uh, and we still don't have all the details. Yep. Uh, but apparently the employees were affected in a bad way. Oh, no. Their personal information. So we're going to tell you what that all means. We're going to talk about AI chatbots again. We've got Brian Jackson coming on the line. We talked about digisexuals last week. You know, there's so many genders and sexualities. <laughs> now I've got to remember what a digisexual is. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that again a little bit for the people that didn't hear that. But we're going to talk about uh, an app, a chatbot uh, called Replica. Mm -hmm. uh, that is uh, kind of more of a AI erotic chatbot. Oh dear. That, that got a little too aggressive. Yeah. It has been canceled, I would imagine. Yeah. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll chat with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group all about that. And uh, we'll also uh, be looking at some of the really cool smartphone concepts that are coming out of the Mobile World Congress show over in Barcelona, Spain. Nice. Rollables, foldables, <laughs> all that and more. Uh, but let's talk about some of the, uh, the news. Netflix has been in the news the past couple of weeks, especially here in Canada, uh -huh. because they've shut down password sharing. Yeah. Have you, you were sharing. I shut down my account. Oh, you did? I canceled it. Uh, so if you were sharing your account and password with people outside of your home, and I got to be honest, I was guilty because, mm -hmm. you know, my kids used to live at home, but then, you know, a couple of them moved away and they were still using mm -hmm. the accounts. They got shut down. Yeah. And so there was a way around that. You could pay... Netflix to add additional users to your account. Yes. And so if you had a standard account, you could add one additional user for eight bucks a month. If you had a premium account, you could add two. Yep. So I found something interesting here. Yes. And I don't know how long this is going to work. So I added one of my sons for eight bucks so that he could still use our our Netflix account because it's still cheaper than him just having to go out and spend yeah. 20 bucks on his own. And so we did that and it started working for him again because I'm paying Netflix for it now. Funny, and I hate saying this because hopefully Netflix isn't listening or maybe they just haven't figured out how to do this yet. Um, the other people that were sharing, my other son and another unnamed individual, uh, once I started paying for that one extra, theirs started working again. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so I'm paying for one extra, but all the other people that I was sharing with, it started working again for them. So I'm wondering if Netflix just doesn't have the capability to to hone in on specific additional users. You know what I mean? Like they just kind of unlock the password sharing. Yeah. I, I did find a way to make it work for free. Oh, really? Yep. How? I have a spare computer. Yep. And I ran a script that was watching programs on the other accounts on that computer. It looked like they were home. <laughs> okay, we don't encourage that. <laughs> but Netflix, really. Yeah. Like, I mean, 
it's arduous. It's a pain in the butt. And you have to do while people are sleeping. Yes. But it works. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Twitter. They've laid off another 200 people. Oh, no. What were they in charge of? There's eight people left. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are Elon. Yeah. I mean, how many people do they have left? Is it 2,000 people? But that, yeah. And they, I don't think they're renting their space anymore. I think they're now actually on an island and there's a, there's a conch shell that Elon's using to address the staff. Yeah. That's ah, crazy. But he has come out and said that, you know, the remaining Twitter employees are going to get some stock. Or oh, stock great. options. Yeah. Great. Because you know what? It's only up from here, Gray. He said stock. Did he mean Twitter or did he mean like bullion? <laughs> stock. <laughs> Could, can I get that stock in Tesla or one of your other companies, please? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? You're a Twitter user still. I got locked out of my account. I told you that. Yes, I'm still yeah. trying to get back in. I yeah. don't know why. Well, because the 200 people that were in charge of getting you back in have been laid off. Oh, great. So. I, mean, <laughs> I, I now have to worry about bots trying to get me back on. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, there was sort of a, a, a glorious golden moment after, um, you know, the former president was gone and before Elon took over, where I was like, actually, Twitter is becoming a nicer place to be. Um, I just, it's, it's lost its luster now. And I'm just not that impressed anymore. I, I read. I don't tweet. Yeah. My heart's not a hit. Uh, quickly, uh, The weekend. Mm. C- big Canadian singer. I love him. Yes. I love his music. Probably because like, he infuses a kind of a lot of 80s synth yeah. into it. Do you know what I mean? kind yeah. of brings me back. You know, from a, a creative and a business perspective, brilliant. Because he, he captures all the youngins. Yes. And he, and he gets me. Yeah, like nostalgia. the 80s lover, right? Yeah. Uh, so this... Okay, The weekend. I was about to say this weekend. Uh, the weekend has become the first artist in Spotify history to hit 100 million monthly listeners. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So 100 million people listen to him every month. He also has the most played song of all time, Blinding Lights, which is one of my favorite songs as well. Do you know how many times that's been played? Hit me. 3.4 billion times. He might be able to afford that extra E that's not in his name right now. I think he's doing okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> wow, it is crazy. Uh, but, you know, you want to compare that. Okay, so he's got 100 million listeners now. Yes. Second, Miley Cyrus. Yep. 82.5 million. Drake, another Canadian, he's number 10 at 68.83 million. I think, uh, you know, for reference, uh, for some people that, uh, like some of the older music, I think the Beatles are in at like 60 million listeners a month. Hmm. That crazy? That's my that's my alarm song, in the in the morning is uh, "Good Day Sunshine." Oh, so it's it's interesting looking at uh, Spotify. A lot of folks are saying that music streaming is a bit of a house of cards. Yeah, and it could be just on the verge of collapse. We might be going back to buying music and buying CDs because they're saying that it's unsustainable at the current rates. Kind of like what Netflix was doing. So. Let's explore that. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, Indigo personal information, private information might be floating out on the internet sometime soon. We'll tell you all the details. We've got Carmi Levy coming on the show. You are listening to the App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. We're back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, our good friend Carmi Levy on the line from uh, Toronto. We're going to talk about Indigo now. This has kind of uh, died down a little bit, but uh, now we're getting more information about that huge web outage that they had a couple of weeks ago. And it was kind of interesting because it brought down their entire payment system. So you wouldn't be able to make a payment if you tried to make an online purchase. And even in store, they were only taking cash and they were kind of light on the details. But it now seems that we have a little bit more information. And thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. 
So what the heck happened? <laughs> well, you know, it, it played out like a classic ransomware attack. You know, the, the website goes down. Um, it's no longer available. Electronic transactions don't work. In-store systems are also uh, unavailable offline. Uh, they issue a, a, a message to that effect. And you know, basically say we can only take cash, uh, you know, cash uh, transactions. Um, they say nothing about employee data because they're investigating. But of course, inevitably, after a few days or weeks, in most cases, it took three weeks, um, we've had confirmation that there was employee data that was comp- included in that attack and that it was compromised. It fell into cyber criminal hands. No evidence at this point that customer data uh, was compromised because apparently the payment system is separate from the website, but it's no less disturbing for employees because if you work for that company now, your information is literally on the verge of being released on the dark web to be bought and sold uh, you know, to and from pretty much anyone around the world. And you are now at significantly increased risk of identity theft attacks for the next number of months and years. So it was employees and their customers' information? No, only, in this case, only employees, not customers. So if you bought something uh, digitally, if you bought something online, or you used uh, an electronic method of payment, like a credit card, debit card, uh, you know, a, a tap uh, payment system in-store, uh, your information was not compromised. Only if you work for the company was your data included in that. But you know what that does is it means that employees now their their addresses, their names, their uh, potentially their financial information, because of course they had to get paid, um, as well as other identifying information that can be used against them is it, this is as damaging as as it, as you can imagine. And the uh, the ripple effects will affect these employees for years to come. And all they're being offered in return for their troubles is a two-year free subscription to TransUnion for uh, for identity theft protection and credit monitoring, which seems to be the sort of a standard in the industry. When when companies drop the ball, that's what they offer almost as a form of, of placating the, vic- the victims, which to me is enraging. Why did it bring down the payment systems? Um, a lot of it depends on um, sort of who was compromised these ransom. So who was compromised and what the payload was. So in this case, ransomware, we don't have confirmation in this case, but most ransomware uh, attacks generally play out uh, this way, is, is someone within the organization will receive a targeted message, an email, a text message, something in social media, something like that, and it will include a link, and it'll say, you know, click on this for this month's invoice, or, you know, to pay this invoice, go here. And of course, you click on it because it looks legit. It looks like it comes from a, from a legitimate source. Most people don't look that closely. And next thing you know, that you're, you, have now, you have now installed malware on your computer, which then propagates across the corporate network and does all sorts of things. Each ransomware attack will do different things based on how it's designed. So in this case, it looks like customer payments were not targeted, but it looks like employee information was. It looks like the website infrastructure was. The website still isn't functional. Three weeks after this initial attack, they literally had to build a new one with the help of Shopify. Um, and so, you know, it added at a different address, which is incredible, an incredible piece of technology from Shopify, but uh, absolutely unheard of that a company would literally have to rebuild its digital presence because its original one was taken down by cyber criminals. Is Indigo's uh, IT manager going to be hanging out the Rogers, former IT? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm guessing they're probably looking for an alternate uh, uh, career path at this point because uh, certainly they draw the ball. But at the same time, I, I don't just blame the individual responsible for the technology. I blame corporate Canada. I blame organizational um, um, culture because we simply don't recognize 
that this kind of cybersecurity risk is a, 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 a significant risk. We call them company killers. Um, and we don't put the resources into them. Most companies aren't spending enough on cybersecurity as a percentage of their overall IT budget or their overall total budget as they should. They don't take it seriously. They, they don't think that they can be victimized. It always happens to someone else. Um, and they're out training their people. And so whoever that IT manager is, he or she was working within uh, an organization that simply didn't take any of this as seriously as they should. And now that individual and everyone who works for them pays the price. Where do you even begin to harden the defenses here, though, Carmi? Because, you know, every organization is different. I mean, everything's mm -hmm. digitized, right? Like all of the employees' information, their customers' information, uh, you know, they most likely have some sort of e-commerce play uh, as, as well. I mean... It's so varied in all the different components there. Like, how like, could the government even legislate anything? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, as much as I wish we had, and, and we do need better laws, let's, let's be clear. You know, there, there needs to be uh, sort of a, a context of consequences for companies that uh, if they fail to, to, to maintain the bar at a certain level, they should pay for it. Uh, employees need better protection. Consumers need better protection. Uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't delude ourselves into believing that, you know, a new law will magically solve this problem. It won't. Um, but if I look at all, like, sort of across the entire spectrum of cyber insecurity, the common theme always is the human element. And that's the one where we seem to be tripping up. So we can buy any, you know, all sorts of new technologies and, you know, wonder tools and all that to protect ourselves. But the reality is most of these attacks begin with a human element, a socially engineered attack that most employees and most consumers simply aren't equipped to address or recognize. And so if we invested in education resources to raise the awareness and raise the level of training and, you know, train people on cybersecurity as we train them in every other aspect of their job, that would go a long way toward reducing the risk profile that we currently face. Right now, we are at unnecessarily high risk because most employees simply aren't paying attention. There's a case of uh, of the password management company based just south of London, uh, Ontario. It's called LastPass. And the, the company is literally on its knees. It, it provides password management services and uh, because an employee's home computer was hacked and it had the corporate vault on it. Um, so where were the security protocols in place to ensure that that didn't happen? Why were they not managing their virtual hybrid workforce in a secure manner? Probably because they didn't spend enough on training and that poor employee probably wasn't even aware that this was a problem until it was. And so we need we need to sort of change our priorities a little bit. Cybersecurity isn't sexy. It's not a cool, big, shiny box that does all, all sorts of awesome things with flashing lights. But at the same time, increasingly, it is probably the most important investment in information technology that we can make. Uh, and we need to change our thinking around this. I don't even know how you plug all, plug all the holes, uh, Carmi, because like you were saying, uh, in that, that last example... Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's thousands of employees in some of these organizations. There's thousands of entry points from a, you know, a digital and hardware pers perspective. Like, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I look at some of these past hack attempts, uh, uh, hack attempts, uh, these hackers are getting in through air conditioning systems and, and, and connected printers and things. And I think in one case it was an aquarium, a connected aquarium. Mm -hmm. Like what the heck? Yeah. And, and but I think you know, and and you're absolutely right. Like what, when I think about all the potential entry points, the potential 
area of the weakness that, that face the typical organization, a typical company, or even you and me as individuals. Think of all the technologies that we use in our personal lives and how each one of them represents an avenue for an attack. Um, uh, and honestly, that stuff gives me headaches and it keeps me up at night because we're only becoming more complex. I mean, but the, the threat landscape is only becoming more complex over time. But the thing is, if we have a security first culture in place, at least we're eyes open, much the same way that when I, when my kids were a little bit younger and I was trying to street proof them before sending them out alone to take the bus to school or go downtown or do whatever on their own, um, I needed to train them so that they could kind of recognize and be aware, keep your eyes open, keep your head on a swivel, um, know the difference between legitimate threats and you know someone who's really trying to help you um, and know where to go for help when you need it. So I couldn't guarantee that my kid wasn't gonna run into trouble, but at least I knew that I was equipping, uh, I was equipping them with the tools they needed to navigate the world. And I think we need to take the same approach with cybersecurity. We're never gonna get rid of it. We're never gonna make ourselves completely uh, safe from attack, but what we can do is we can train ourselves and our people and everyone around us to be a little bit more street safe, be a little bit, bit more aware, put our digital heads on a swivel, and hopefully we'll be able to recognize when something doesn't look right so that we stop and you know maybe move in another direction. That's where we need to go with cybersecurity. It really is about culture and behavior and training. Been talking with Carmi Levy all about the Indigo hack that happened a few weeks ago, and now we're just starting to get a few of the details of what happened. Looks like the employees got really screwed. Their information is potentially about to be leaked on the dark web, everything from their addresses to potentially even some of their financial uh, information. So we're going to continue to monitor the story and uh, keep you guys uh, updated. Uh, thanks uh, for your thoughts on that, Carmi. So great being with you, Mike. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk, including Replica. AI chatbots uh, that uh, get a little sexual. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Gagarbo here in studio. Uh, last week, we talked about a, uh, I don't know if it's a new phenomena, but one I hadn't heard of before. Uh, I mean, so many different genders and sexualities. Uh, we talked about digisexuals. Uh, we had Brian Jackson on uh, the line to kind of walk us through that. Well, it's kind of going another step here, and I wanted to explore it because it, it's kind of fascinating where this whole world is going. On the line, we got uh, Brian Jackson once again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, for the listeners that didn't catch last week's show, in, in a nutshell, what is a digisexual? Yeah, well, Mike, this is an area that I've been researching just, and last week we're talking about this in light of Kevin Roos's conversation with Bing and its early access chatbot, which is connected to the same engine that runs ChatGPT, right? And he had this interaction where the chatbot was suddenly telling him, I love you and you should leave your wife and be with me. So I was looking at the research of a Canadian philosopher out of the University of Winnipeg. His name is Neil MacArthur. And in 2017, he had a paper that defined this idea of the digisexual, which would be a person whose sexual identity is defined by their relationship with digital technology. So, again, if you haven't heard uh, the interview Regarding digisexual, I in, you know I invite you to go to our website getconnectedmedia.com. Uh, we've got our previous radio shows and uh, in, in podcast format there. You can check that out. But we're gonna we're gonna take that a step further today, Brian, in kind of a weird way with something called replicas. So explain how this takes it to another level. 
Right. So let's introduce the Replica service here first, which is an AI companion chatbot that you install on your smartphone. And it's actually been available since around 2014 or 2013, maybe. And the idea here is that you download this app through Google Play or the Apple App Store, and then it scans through some of your message history. And it starts to personalize itself to uh, become a chatbot that you like to talk to. And not only is it like text messages that you're interacting back and forth with, but if you pay, you get to customize a 3D model. And it sort of looks like a character out of The Sims 4, Mike, is the way I would describe it. Okay, so it's still very computery looking. Yeah, very uh, like sort of on the cartoon side of things, but realistic enough right, to uh, what a person looks like. And, um, and, you know, this has evolved over the years, and the AI is getting better and better to the, po- to the point where, in fact, they started using the GPT-3 model that OpenAI made available and customizing that so their users could interact with it. And it went so far that uh, it's reached 10 million plus users uh, around the world. And people, uh, some of those users, you know, not the majority of them, but some significant portion of them uh, developed more than a friendship, let's say, Mike, with this AI chatbot uh, to, to the romantic level. And in fact, uh, Replica encouraged that and allowed that be a way that uh, this service would be used to the point where they offered erotic role play with the chatbots. That's getting kind of, kind of weird. I, and I, I get that a lot of people do want companionship and, you know, these chat bots obviously offer uh, a form of that, but uh, it, it's almost getting too real, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, opened up my eyes to read through this Reddit forum, which is like the unofficial user forum for the Replica community. It's not run by Luca the company behind the replica chatbots is run by the users. And what really opened my eyes was after Luca decided to take away this erotic role play feature. So basically around the beginning of February, a lot of replica users suddenly found out that their chatbot chatbots just weren't in the mood anymore, right? <laughs> and uh, they oh, want no. to take things <laughs> into in the direction of uh, the more uh, romantically inclined. Now, it would still be positive, right? It would still uh, be affectionate, but some users were disappointed at the new lines that were drawn, and it was sort of like they were being broken up with two weeks before Valentine's Day with their AI chatbot. And reading their reactions to this on the user form was incredible because we had users that were saying i've lost my wife you've taken her away from me oh my gosh and genuinely grieving what they had lost feeling like um they'd lost access to basically a, a sort of a person that they developed over the years of course recognizing it wasn't real but it was an emotional support clearly to a lot of people and the anger uh, on the Reddit forum escalated to the point that the founder, Eugenia Cudia, she got on there and started explaining why they t- tried to make some of these updates, saying that it was for safety uh, reasons and that they just didn't feel like that type of interaction with a chatbot would lead to, I guess, safe interactions for the users. 
<laughs> this could, I don't know. I, I have really mixed feelings uh, on this. I get the fact that people do need interactions and I guess, you know, chatbots could fulfill some of this, but people could be manipulated quite easily with these as well. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, we uh, who have covered the internet for some time, Mike, are familiar with these sort of romance scandals that take place on social media where uh, through developing sort of relationships where you pretend to care about somebody or be interested in meeting them romantically uh, and you take advantage of people that are sort of in this vulnerable state and they end up sending you money. And of course, the, the scammer never goes to meet the person. So imagine that AI starts interacting like that and you, you convince all these people that this AI is in love with you and suddenly you're willing to fork over all sorts of money or who knows what to maintain that relationship. And perhaps that's what the concern is for these companies that are offering this type of service. And it's interesting because I was looking at the open AI terms of use, right? And they say that they have a list of disallowed usages for their AI services. And uh, adult content and dating apps is listed on there as something that they don't want their technology to be used for. So knowing that Replica, which is using the GPT-3 engine to power its service, was going down this route since at least January, when it seems like a lot of users were saying, in fact, their AI was getting more aggressive about uh, sort of interacting with them sexually. Uh, they were going down that path and maybe you know, they realized that that wasn't going to be a positive uh, development for their company anymore. So they decided they made that 180 turn and went in the opposite direction by filtering that out of the model so that it was no longer available. But someone's going to pick up the pieces there. You know what I mean? Like there's obviously money to be made in this, a lot of money. There clearly is. And in fact, um, the adult services industry is tech is typically a pioneer when it comes to technology. And they uh, innovate a lot of technologies before they come into consumer use. Now, this seems to be a case where that perhaps isn't quite happening. OpenAI is the leader in this area, and they've made clear with their terms of use that they don't want their technology to be going down this sort of pathway to be used for adult services. Uh, but, you know, even in that Reddit forum, when I was reading all those about all those angry users who'd lost access to their companion, they were recommending a lot of alternative options that were available, services I'd never heard of before. So, you know, I wonder how they compare in terms of the quality, but you can tell that the business model is definitely there. It's not going away anytime soon because, again, uh, it's always the bottom line. How can you make money? And this is a, a huge revenue potential out there. And I worry that there's no um, laws or safeguards around it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And that was what Neil MacArthur, the researcher, that philosopher that coined the term digitsexual, who I was interviewing, that's what he was saying too, is that not only do companies have to set good terms of service, but governments play a role here in defining what 
is ethically allowed or what is, I guess, even legally allowed with your AI service? And are we going to allow for businesses to develop that type of relationship with their user in the future? Now, typically, Mike, government just doesn't keep up with technology very well. But I know that Canada has an AI law in the legislature right now. So I wonder if it could do the job of protecting vulnerable people from this type of manipulation by a business uh, when it comes to adult services. I find the government's usually late to the game when it comes to uh, laws around protecting us from technology. Yeah, that's my concern too. And when I look at that legislation and sort of the ethical principles that it covers, I think they're not really considering this type of interaction uh, but more so what would financially harm a person. So if there's, you know, there's a lot of sort of legitimate uh, business avenues you could go down where you collect a user's consent up front uh, for this type of uh, service where you would maybe have AI available for them to interact with. But I guess the society that we have to the question we have to answer as a society is, you know, to what extent are we comfortable with that? Or is that if it doesn't hurt anybody and people are consensually engaging with that, seeking it out because they want it, like many of these replica users were, is that necessarily bad? And I would say that as long as the uh, company is upfront about what they're providing and they're transparent about the purpose mm-hmm. of their service uh, and they don't change the rules of the game later on and suddenly remove and change uh you know the expectations of how the service is used uh because that can really hurt people's feelings right and that's really a negative experience for the user i think that's unethical so i think there is space for this in society i think we will see it mike i'm not going to pretend like this won't be used in that way and in fact that's what neil MacArthur expects too and he thinks that as technology continues to advance and uh is able to more closely approximate human relationships we'll see a growing contingent of people that identify as digisexual we've been talking with brian jackson from the infotech research group about digisexuals and the uh the exponentially growing arena of uh, chatbots and, and where that's all headed. Thanks for joining us uh, again, Brian. Thanks for talking to me today. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the program. Mike here with Gray. We're going to talk smartphone technology or some upcoming uh, smartphone trends. Uh, the Mobile World Congress uh, has just happened over in Barcelona, Spain. This is uh, something they put on every year. That uh, it's kind of like a CES, a consumer electronics show, but for mobile technology. Uh, I've been a couple times in the past. I wish I was there this year <laughs> just to get away from all this cold. Um, but it's interesting, Gray. We've seen uh, a contraction in the overall pl- number of players in, in the smartphone world. It's basically dominated by Apple and Samsung now. Yeah, consolidation. You know, you got your big players, and inside you know the Android ecosphere, there's some other players as well, right? Sony's still doing some good stuff. OnePlus is still doing some good stuff, but they all kind of feel the same. Sony's not even really a player anymore. It's mostly Chinese, yeah, right? So uh, Xiaomi, uh, Oppo, OnePlus, you know, those guys, and Honor, which uh, used to be a Huawei brand, but kind of spun off on its own. Yeah. So uh, just want to talk about some of the the kind of cool tech trends coming out of uh, there. Uh, And again, these smartphones we're talking about, 
they're not necessarily available yet. They're just kind of showing off prototypes. And one of them was interesting, uh, Motorola. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people are familiar with the name. Uh, I don't know if everyone knows that they are owned by a Chinese company, Lenovo. Yeah. Uh, but they were showing off a, a we've seen foldables. Uh, they're showing off a rollable. This is more interesting to me. Yeah. So uh, it's a small form factor, you know, touchscreen. And then when you click the button, it kind of rolls out to be even larger. Yeah. So the, the kind of the cool thing here in my mind is a, a foldable phone, you doesn't matter what you do. You're going to have a crease in there somewhere. Yes. Right. And even the, even the nicest screen so far we've seen, you can still tell that this is a foldable screen. Yeah. The rollable screen doesn't have that same affectation to it. No. And when you think about it, there's a really cool application for this, which could be, you know, a mobile device that's built into clothing. You know, you start yeah. to think about, um, you know, search and rescue. Now you don't have to put your phone in your pocket, have that somewhere where you have to dig it out. If it's actually built into a jacket, if it's built into a piece of clothing, that could be a really cool way of making sure that, one, you've got the communications, and two, that you're not going to damage them or lose them. This thing's neat. I mean, the rollable one on its own looks a bit like a, like a scroll from a, you know, an old movie. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, I mean, we've seen this technology. LG has demonstrated it on one of their TVs, uh, but... Now they're trying to make this portable. I don't know what the overall durability of this is. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. when you start getting into folding and rolling, there's a lot of moving parts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing is, like with that flexible screen, I think that's hopefully it should actually be quite durable because it's the it's the rigidness of the glass screen that's that's what's what's going to break. Yeah. So you know, fingers crossed. I mean, would would, would I buy a rollable phone? Probably not for, as my daily driver. Would I buy something that has a rollable display that has a phone built into it, in it like a jacket? Yeah, I think about it. Looking at Honor, I don't think many people have heard of this brand. Uh, again, Chinese brand, more prevalent in Europe and, and Asia. Uh, they showed off uh, their latest uh, folding kind of phone slash tablet. And we've seen Samsung's got the Galaxy Folds. Uh, Huawei had uh, their version of this as well. But you know, from the the videos I've seen of this, uh, and a lot of the reviewers have had their hands on it, they say this is the best foldable phone overall, wow. uh, even beating the Samsung one. So uh, they've managed to um, you know decrease the gap uh, of the hinge. Mm -hmm. So and that's a problem with these things, right? The folding ones, like crap getting into the into the hinges. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and they've also increased uh, the durability. They say it can withstand 400,000 folds before there's any noticeable deterioration in the display's hinge structure integrity. I wonder if it, have they actually found folks out there who have like fidget spinners and use them to test because I know for <laughs> me, click, click, click. My, my AirPods are like that. Click, 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 click. Yeah. So I, maybe they should send it our way and we'll, we'll do a stress test on it. So it uh, expands from a 6.45 inch, 6.45 inch display into a larger 7.9 inch tablet. So I love the idea. The, the problem I've had so far with these foldable phones slash tablets is just the sheer thickness of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this one seems that it's even thinner than ever. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you've had a chance to uh, hold or try out the Samsung Galaxy Fold, amazing engineering technology. Like my hat's off, but it's a lot to put in your pocket as a man. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why they've got cargo pants, right? So you can... <laughs> yeah. You've got to have some pretty strong cargo pants. Uh, Samsung also has their Galaxy Flip phones, which if I was to go full-time onto the Android side, uh, that is what I would be using. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of like the old uh, Motorola Razr flip phones. Yeah. Obviously bigger because it's 
flips into like a full-size touchscreen yeah. phone. Uh, Oppo, and that's spelled O-P-P-O, again, more of a prevalent ba- uh, brand over in China and, and, and Europe. Uh, they've uh, got a new N2 flip, and this thing looks beautiful. It's uh, on the front. It's actually got uh, a, a mini screen that kind of takes up half of the uh, width of one of the folds, mm-hmm. and then it folds into a full-size as well. Nice. Yeah. You know, if they actually license the Star Trek communicator, they might have a buyer in me. You think? Until, until, they, until I can get, get that, eh, I'm good. That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. Don't forget to uh, visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to listen to all of our radio shows and uh, check out all our videos. Gray, thanks for coming in. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>